Yes, today I'm honored to be once again joined by Washington Post NBA writer Ben Golliver. Ben, what's going on? Not too much, man. Uh, you know, I've got my bubble ball book coming out about my time uh, in the Disney World bubble uh, last summer. You know, I spent 93 days there, and it's been quite a uh, marathon to get this thing out to the public. It's coming out on Tuesday, I'm, so I'm super excited about it. And, uh, you know, also at the same time, neck deep in an NBA season with all sorts of awesome storylines as we get close to the playoffs. So, you know, things are good. How are you? I'm great. Like I said, it's great to talk to you again, man. This season is shaping up to be very good, man. You've got a strong finish coming on. When you play all seedings and start, start getting the heat up, you got a lot of teams struggling right now, like the Portland Trail Blazers. They're going the wrong way at the wrong time. <laughs> oh, there's no question. I mean, you know, Portland Trail Blazers is my hometown team, and, uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're really hitting hard times. It's, it's funny because it's coincided with their health getting better. So you'd think they'd get all their players back on, and that would be the time they would make a push, but it's really gone the other way. They played two really interesting games with Memphis over the weekend. Uh, you know, Memphis just kind of controlled the games both times. You know, John Moran kind of getting everywhere he wanted. Um, right. Not a lot of pushback and, and punch from the Blazers these days. So who knows? Um, you know, I think there's some, some bubbling locally about what does this mean for Terry Stotts' future. And also, they've right. got questions, do you pay Norman Powell to come back? Um, you know, is this a, a formula that can work for them? Um, you know, building around Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and, uh, and use of Nurkic inside. So I think they, you know, this is a, a pretty big stretch for them. Like if they get knocked out in the, um, the, the play-in tournament, that's kind of a step back from last year when they stuck in as the last seed. And I think right. it would start to raise some questions, just like where's this organization going? Yeah, right now they're right above Memphis for the um, seventh spot for the play in the play-in tournament. So I don't think they want to be there. I think they're going to have rest, a little bit of rest before the playoffs start, not playing the play-in. I think Dane, Dane City has to be more aggressive. If he does that, I think they'd be okay. Maybe they can get that six seed. But we'll see, though. That's what I see. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wouldn't bet on them right now, honestly. And like, here's the thing. They're the team everybody would want to play because you look at their defense. They're kind of bottom three in defense right now. Um, can't stop anybody. Really struggling on that end. Uh, right. The personnel just hasn't come together. Uh, you know, they, they went out and grabbed a guy like Robert Covington, great defensive player, but he just hasn't had that overall team-wide impact. And They've got to play guys like Enos Canner and Carmelo Anthony some pretty real minutes this year because of injuries, and, right. of course, that took a toll as well. So they're in a tough spot, but I think if you're one of the favorites, you know, if you're the Clippers, uh, if you're the Jazz, the Suns, one of those top seeds in the Western Conference, if you drop Portland, you're feeling great because you just don't think that they have the balance to really push you. And as dangerous as Damian Lillard is, yeah. um, you know, it, the, the one-man show approach doesn't always work, and, and we saw that actually with, with Portland and New Orleans in the playoffs a few years ago where you know, the Pelicans had a little success you know, holding Lillard in check, and the Blazers just completely fell apart in a, in a pretty quick series. So I think that's going to be the formula for those favorites. That's what they're going to hope for. And I think they'd way rather play Portland right now than you know, Luka and the Dallas Mavericks or even Steph Curry and the Warriors just coming on so strong late uh, here in April. I think you circle Portland as that team you want. Yeah, speaking of the Mavericks, Vinny Porzingis, bad. Luka can't do it by himself. I mean, he has a good supporting cast, but they need, they need that one to punch bad. They lose a couple games they should have won recently. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I'm sure you remember not in the two dips in the past where, you know, when centers would shoot as often as Porzingis does from outside, they were labeled soft. They were right. labeled, uh, you know, not the kind of player that you would want. Um, you know, hey, get down there on the block, do your thing down there. But it's amazing the impact indirectly that Porzingis' presence has on their offense because not yes. only does he score yeah. – 
Yeah. But he can set up now in Steph Curry territory, right? I mean, he's out there yeah. two, three steps behind the three-point line, and you have to guard him and respect it. And, right. you know, a guy like Maxi Kleber, he, he can shoot a little bit as well. But, you know, Dwight right. Powell, he's not going to give you that same level of space. And, and he's a very uh, effective role man, dive guy going towards the basket. But it just makes it easier to kind of clog up the paint, show extra help to Luka, trap him, and all that right. kind of stuff when you don't have Porzingis out there making you pay for it. So he's one of the biggest X factors to me right now in the entire league. You know, I think he has a lot to prove, too. In, injured in last year's playoffs. Uh, about halfway through that series. You know, he did get an ejection early in that series, which people didn't really see coming. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just one of those situations where, like, they need him to be rock-solid, reliable. They're going to take the next step as a franchise. And he's had some issues with his health this year as well. But when he's played, especially recently, he's been very effective. And yeah. he's just a, a one-of-a-kind weapon. You know, still some defensive struggles for him. Doesn't move the best on the defensive end. And, and so sometimes they pull him late in games just to go to a little bit of a smaller look. Um, which I think is kind of gutsy by Rick Carlisle. You know, go away from your star a little bit. But right. there's no doubt. I mean, Lucas, he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders right now when Porzingis isn't out there. Definitely. Yes, um, May 4th, Bubble Ball. Congratulations on your upcoming book. I know it's going to be a great read. Um, tell us about it. Well, for people like you, you know, diehard basketball fans, that's kind of who I wrote it for, right? I mean, I, I view this as a time capsule for one of the most important years in NBA history. Right. I mean, when you go back and you look at the China controversy with Hong Kong, you look at Kobe Bryant's tragic death, David right. Stern's tragic death, the pandemic, yeah. the shutdown, and then the, the Disney World experiment all on top of it. I mean, what a crazy 12-month period for the league. And so, you know, I was down there in Disney World for more than three months covering all these games. I went to every single playoff game from the second round on. Um, right. You know, it's never going to be done again, you know, because they, they never play them all in the same arena. So you, it's just not logistically possible. So right. I kind of had an up-close and, and personal viewpoint for what I thought was a really entertaining and layered playoff, uh, you know, a setup. And a big part of it was trying to determine, okay, which teams can adapt to this environment and which teams struggle. You know, so, for example, the Lakers uh, and the Nuggets, the, the Miami Heat, they were really able to settle in and find a good home down there in Disney World. So teams right. like the Rockets, the Clippers, the Sixers, they maybe had a tougher time. The Bucks, uh, they, they may have t- had a tougher time as well. And then another layer on top of everything was the social justice activism, uh, the protests, yeah. and then, you know, all this occurring in a presidential election year where, you know, LeBron and Trump in some uh, situations are going back and forth and kind of taking shots at each other. So there were right. so many different layers to this story, a public health story, a business story, a, you know, political story. Um, the racial justice story, and the basketball story. I tried to meld it all into one. I had a really good time writing it. It's a passion project. And I think, you know, people, when they read it, they'll be able to relive, you know, last year's season and and just how crazy that pandemic was. And they'll hopefully learn a few things in terms of what was it really like to to be down there up close and personal. Um, For you, what was the greatest takeaway from 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 your bubble experience? Because we all know – Players were like, we can't do this again. Like, they were just bored riding bikes around. We saw KD. I'm sorry, AD and on the barn riding bikes. I mean, players and playing chicken pool. How is it for you personally? Well, you know, I share a lot of their concerns. You know, when I was down there, I put on weight. Uh, I slept terribly. I felt lots of feelings of stress and anxiety. I felt the isolation from my family members. I mean, it was tough, um, you know, in part because – the rules were so strict. You know, you really couldn't eat uh, meals in groups indoors. You had to wear a mask everywhere you went. You had, you had uh, 
proximity alarm trackers that would follow your every movement. You couldn't leave campus for any reason whatsoever. And it was just a very stifling experience, you know, but at the same time, uh, as, you know, quirky and sci-fi as it was, there was also just really good basketball. So if you love the sport, you know, it did feel like LeBron called it, you know, one of the greatest AAU tournaments of all time. It did have that feel because you could go to the gym, 2 p.m. see Giannis, 4 p.m. see Harden, 6 p.m. see LeBron. I mean, come on. Like, what more do you really want out of it, right? (laughs) So uh, to me, there was, you know, there was two sides to it. There was the good and the bad for sure. But, um, you know, I I think that the players, they had much bigger sacrifices than media members like myself had to make. I don't live in a mansion, right? I'm not driving uh, a Maybach. You know, I'm not cashing these gigantic checks like a lot of NBA stars are. And, you know, I also personally just don't have a family. And so the sacrifices that I had to make really paled in comparison to what the players were dealing with because their whole lifestyles changed by, you know, living in these basic Disney room, uh, Disney World hotel rooms. And I would also say um, the stress factor for them was much higher. And the stress is always huge during the playoffs. But if you can't kind of go off and blow off steam like you normally would during the playoff series, if you have a bad game, you're much more likely to dwell on it. And we heard players like Paul George and Danny Green just talk about how they would get into shooting slumps and just couldn't shake out of it, you know, at times because yeah. it was just a stifling and, and small atmosphere. So I try to weave in some of those mental health things as well while telling the story. And, um, you know, ultimately, like, it was an amazing triumph. You know, you're asking what's the biggest takeaway from it. To me, the biggest takeaway was they crowned a champion and they had zero positive tests. Those were their two biggest goals going in, and they accomplished both goals. They kept everybody healthy. Um, and the Lakers went home as champions. And so from that standpoint, I view the bubble as just a really remarkable chapter in the NBA's history. Yeah, I give my hats off to Adam Silver. I mean, he did a phenomenal – he has been doing a phenomenal job since he's taken over. He got NBA through a lot of um, transitions, and he did a phenomenal job, doing a great job now, handling this season with all the um, canceled games and where he did the double schedule for the canceled games in the first part of the season. So hats off to Adam Silver. (laughs) Definitely. <laughs> oh, he's had a different, difficult job. And, you know, one thing I, I point out in this book, it's interesting. Uh, you know, he didn't live in the bubble for the entire experience. He came down the last couple of weeks, and you were mentioning the guys riding bikes. And, you know, I saw Adam Silver jogging around the campus one day, and I almost did a double take. I was like, whoa, there's a commissioner. You know, <laughs> he's just, he's out there just, you know, getting his miles like everybody else. And so that was right. cool to see. But right. the person who really it, it stuck with me was Michelle Roberts, head of the Players Union. She okay. was down there from day one with the players. Um, she made herself available to them at all hours. She showed up and watched a lot of the games from courtside seats. And, you know, she cheered them on through the activism, uh, you know, the kneeling protests and all that. She was right there. Um, she had to help them put the bubble back together after the Bucks led their shutdown with the, uh, the boycott and the protest. But, you know, one thing that she stuck with me was, she said that, she said that stuck with me was that, it was such an intimate experience in terms of how close she felt um, kind of a kinship to a lot of these players that she actually didn't want to leave the bubble because she had had so much time, uh, fun getting right. to know the players during that time. And she would just sit by the pool and they would come over and ask her questions about what they should do with their careers after they're done. They, they might ask questions about, uh, you know, the COVID protocols. They might show her pictures of their family members. And I think that for her, it, it wound up being, you know, she had almost retired right before the uh, pandemic started. And for her, I think she was really glad she stayed on. And, uh, you know, she played a huge role in this along with Chris Paul to make sure that it happened. Yeah, so uh, 
Shout out to her, too, definitely. Um, you've been covering the league for a while. From the times at Blazer Edge to CBS Sports to Sports Illustrated, I mean, can you say that those helped you in transitioning into an author, writing about this historical event? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I didn't really know what I was getting into when I was writing a book because this was my first um, this was my first book project, and so I, wow. I relied on a lot of the skills that I kind of built up over those years. I mean, one big right. advantage I had when I was writing is that I had done the reporting while I was there, right. and I had a Twitter account that I could kind of go back to for contemporaneous observations, right? And I right. had taped some podcasts as I was going along so that if I needed to know how I felt at a certain moment, I could go back and listen to it and just kind of get back into the, the mind space that I had been when I was there. All right. those things really helped. And, uh, you know, for sure, you know, when it came to actually covering the playoffs, you know, I, I've been at the finals every year since 2011, and there's just a different vibe to the finals. You know, the, right. the stakes are much higher. The stars right. are cranked all the way up. You know, LeBron's playing the best basketball he's ever going to play. Same with Jimmy Butler. I mean, the best series right. of his life in that NBA finals. And so right. having gone through the finals before was, was very, you know, a number of times was very helpful to have reference points, uh, you know, as I wrote this book, because uh, right. it was such a weird year. So much was different, right? No, no fans in the stands. I mean, right. here, here's one uh, scene for you. I mean, LeBron wins his fourth championship. He's getting himself closer to Jordan. He's, you know, uh, smoking a cigar and on FaceTime with his uh, right. mother, Gloria, Right. And you know, they don't have any. They don't have anybody to celebrate with, and right. so LeBron has to come over and spray us media members with champagne because we're the only people around. And so I got dosed, uh, doused head to toe uh, with champagne, courtesy of LeBron James and Danny Green, because there was just nobody else there to kind of celebrate that title with them. And it's you know it's little details like that I try to bring forward in the book about how that might contrast to a normal year where the players are going crazy, twenty thousand fans are going nuts in the arenas. Uh, right. You know, and, and lots and lots of people are watching from home as well. And, you know, some people would go to the championship parade after the fact, too. So um, I really try to highlight how that 2020 playoff run was different than anything else I'd ever seen, anything else I'd ever covered. And, you know, to be able to do that, you have to kind of show up and do the work for all those years beforehand. And, and certainly I think that helped me a lot. Right. So first of all, I've got to say congratulations on being able to cover the NBA Finals since 2011. I'm trying to get my first – Congratulations on that. <laughs> Great job, man. Well, hey, look, man, I've been there before. I know how that goes, and, you know, it's just one <laughs> one step at a time, one door opens, you know, the next one, and you just walk right through it and do whatever you can do. I mean, for right. me, I, I think my first playoffs were just the first round, uh, you know, Portland Trailblazers, and I have fond memories of those, too, because, you know, they went out a number of years in a row under Nate McMillan, but right. the amount of excitement from the fans and even just the media in attendance at this team being back in the playoffs after a few tough years right. was really fun, too. And so, you know, that's another fun scene from the book. You know, the Blazers, they beat the Grizzlies in that play-in game to, to clinch the eighth seed last year. And coincidentally, we had like a little media dinner at their hotel, just, you know, just a complete coincidence. And, uh, you know, we're going there and we're standing in line with all the COVID protocols waiting to come into this little restaurant where they're going to serve us. Right. And the Blazers are in the lobby and they got the rap music cranked up. They got huge, you know, drinks. They got cigars. Yeah. I mean, they're really having a good time. Again, it's a completely empty hotel room, the Yacht Club. Uh, right. You know, the lobby says, welcome back, you know, kings of the Yacht Club. Congratulations, Portland Trailblazers. But they don't have anybody else to celebrate with besides themselves. And so, you know, the media comes in right. and we get a little snapshot look at that. And it was, 
Um, you could just tell their satisfaction. But, again, so different from the experiences, you know, like say when Damian Lillard hit that game winner yeah. to send the Thunder home, right? I mean, the, the crowd is mobbing him. Uh, in, yeah. in the bubble, that was just not possible, right? Yeah. Can you imagine those games in front of the home fans, like when um, Denver and Portland was rocking like that, going back, they were going back and forth, Dan Lillard and um, Murray, 50 points apiece. Those, 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 those tables would have been crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, think about Anthony Davis's Mamba shot, right, oh, where yeah, he yells at yeah. Kobe after he hits the game winner. And actually, yeah. after that game, LeBron said he wasn't trying to rain on the parade. He was just being honest. He's like, man, I wish that happened in Staples Center. Like, can you imagine? I mean, you would have had you would have Rihanna yeah. and Jack Nicholson going absolutely nuts for that shot. So, um, you know, there was a lot of those kinds of moments right. where, uh, you know, it was – it was unique because it was one of a kind. And I'll actually remember those playoffs, I think, more than any other, just because they were so different and so abnormal and because right. there was no trouble. And so I think the, the quality of play was very high. You know, there was a number of stars who were injured and didn't play. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and yeah. Steph Curry, you know, they didn't qualify. Right. The guys who did show up played at a super-duper high level, and that starts with LeBron and goes right on down the list. You mentioned Jamal Murray, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum. I mean, yeah. a number of guys just had great postseasons. Yes. I have to ask you, few people have been, been able to cover LeBron as close as you have. How has it been a close personal seeing the greatness, I have to say greatness, of him being able to just break down the court? It's so, the game is so slow to him, it slows down. Like seeing him being able to make the basketball play or take over at any moment, how was it work for him to do that to playoffs? Um, it was a treat. I mean, it was an absolute pleasure night after night after night. I mean, I look forward to watching LeBron play. You know, I think I, did, I counted this up, and I think there was like I think I've seen LeBron play in person something like seventy-five or eighty times wow. since um, since that two thousand and seventeen, uh, or maybe it was two thousand eighteen finals where he just went absolutely nuts, had fifty plus points against okay. the uh, the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, that was so game one, right? It, yeah, game one overtime, yeah. J.R. Smith game, and yeah. of all the games I had seen him play since then. The game he played to close out the Denver Nuggets was the best performance I've seen because the game was going slow, just like you're describing. He's in complete control, and he's doing everything with turnaround jumpers, and he's getting to his spots. He's manipulating matchups. It's all below the rim. It's not 2012 LeBron where he's going and dunking all over everybody. He's doing his little homage to Kobe Bryant. He's doing his homage to Michael Jordan. He's doing it old school, you know, like, go ahead, try to send two on me. I'm still going to hit this turnaround in your face. I'm going to spin into the paint and pull up from 15 and drain another jumper. It was right. all below the rim. I just love that old school game from him. And, you know, the phrase that I kept coming back to with LeBron was quiet work. Um, you know, we all understand that he puts an incredible amount of time and energy and money into his body. We've heard about the million-dollar home gym and all that stuff. Right. But to watch him in the bubble, there's nothing else going on. He shows up to those games for workouts hours before they start. He's sitting on the sideline at times meditating to get himself like in the right frame of mind before these games to kind of manage his anxiety. Right. And watch him play at such a high level. And then to watch his post-game press conferences where he's talking about everything from Breonna Taylor to President Trump to gun right. control to Jacob right. Blake. I mean, and it's just you could tell everything was on his mind and he was processing all that information in real time. It was phenomenal. You know, I've always been a, a Michael Jordan is the GOAT guy. I mean, I, I think I'm probably going to go to my grave feeling that same way. Right. Um, but LeBron made a heck of a case in the bubble. I mean, it was just sensational. 16-5, and five, 
through the playoffs, outdueled Jimmy Butler, who was playing phenomenal basketball, and right. outthought every single opponent they had to face. Um, and, you know, one other, my favorite LeBron moment from the bubble is in the second round of the playoffs, he could smell blood against right. the Houston Rockets. You know, he kind of felt like they were fracturing a little bit, like they might not be completely ready for prime time, right. that they didn't have a good defensive answer for Anthony Davis. And he came out before the game, and, and usually he's pretty – they go through this pretty, you know, routine pregame thing where they would play football, and he would throw the, the long touchdown pass to Anthony Davis, and they would just kind right. of go through their layup lines normally. And he came out, I believe, before game four and put on a slam dunk contest show for the ages. I mean, he's like throwing down – self alley-oop, uh, you know, pile driver right. dunks, doing right. 360s. He's got the ball boys jumping out of the way so they don't get run over by him. And you right. can just kind of tell, like, at that moment, he could taste the title. Giannis right. was struggling in the Eastern Conference. The Clippers uh, yeah. maybe weren't as uh, dominant as people expected. The Rockets really weren't posing much of a problem for him. And right. he just uh, – I could just tell he sensed it, and he brought it home. And I think that was the, one of the most incredible parts about it. Uh, he played every single game for them was playing huge minutes, you know, multiple times. They played him every minute in the fourth quarter uh, of the key games. And at his age, where he's so much older than a lot of the other guys who he was playing against, you know, some cases five, six, ten years older, um, it was just crazy to see. A lot of LeBron fans doesn't like what I'm about to say, but you 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 previously wrote a blog about Kevin Durant, which arguably is the the best player on the planet when completely healthy. Maybe so he did in what uh, sixteen and seventeen, I believe it was. Right. Back to back, basically, Sherry clinching shots went over LeBron, went over um, J.R. Smith. I mean, what do you think about his comeback off his injury? Maybe he, yesterday he came off the bench, put up thirty-three points. Can you imagine if Steve Nash brought him off the bench for purposely during the playoffs? <laughs> what that would do to opposing teams? That would be great. I don't see it happening, but can you just imagine that. That would be yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> it's like the Mono Ginobili thing that Craig Popovich used to do, but just take it to like the 10th Right, round. yes. Yeah, no, look, I mean, he scores <laughs> so easily. I, I've always loved KD's game. I think he's gotten, a, you know, some tough criticism because of the, the ring chasing in Golden State and all that. To me, that's yeah. really unfair. The guy's an absolute hooper. I think yeah. he can score more easily on anybody else uh, than vice versa in the league. Like if there was a one-on-one tournament, I would take KD to win it. Uh, because I just think he can get shots in ways that a lot of other guys can't. You know, for me, I view the Nets as the favorites in the East right now, but I really want to see James Harden get back because I think that we only only got just a little taste of what it looks like when KD and Harden play together this year, and it looked amazing because those guys, they know each other for a long time. There's a really high level of mutual respect and personal fondness, and both those guys have big chips on their shoulders, right? Katie yeah. wants to prove that he, the, the Achilles didn't take him out. Harden wants to prove that he can win a title, and everybody who calls him a choker in the playoffs is taking it too far. And right. Kyrie's got a big chip on his shoulder, too, because he wants to win one without LeBron. So, you know, you right. add all that up, I think they're just a fascinating team. The offense has been sensational. The defense has been a little bit better. And I yeah. just hope that they can get healthy for this run because um, I could actually see them winning the whole thing, you know, and and I give a lot of respect <laughs> to the Lakers as the defending champions, but yes. you know, if Brooklyn won this whole thing, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Yes, on that side power, they got each one of the big three can create their own shot. Each one can go for 40 points, even get the night. There's going to be a rare night where both or two or, or all three are off, or all two or two of the three are off. That's not going to happen. 
one of them can carry the whole team that night because you're going to be distracted by the other two. It's, it's, that, it's, it's too much, in my opinion. Like, I know defense went seven, but that much firepower can't be stopped if they're on. No, I'm with you completely. And, like, they also all get to the free throw line. And they're also great yes. free throw shooters, right? So yes. when, I, when I try to match them up with Philly or Milwaukee, you know, it starts with the best players. And, like, you know, Embiid's going to get himself to the free throw line, no problem. Right. But what about Simmons? Right. You know, what yes. about Simmons? And then in Milwaukee, Giannis is going to get hacked constantly. Well, is he going to be able to make his free throws? Is he going to be able to step out and hit a jumper or a, yes. a three-pointer when you need to kind of mix things up? I just think they can beat you so many different ways. And what's also been incredible is all those guys make their teammates better, too. I mean, that's been a real question to me with Kyrie Irving, but in his role right now where he doesn't have to be like the real point guard, he makes his teammates better because he just draws so much attention. Guys are wide open. Joe Harris has had an awesome season. Uh, Bruce Brown gives them really good minutes. Nick Claxton gives them some good minutes. I mean, even guys like Jeff Green and Blake Griffin have given them more than I expected, so – I think that they're deeper than people realize. The, the Aldridge thing to me is the great shame because they were going to need him uh, yeah. against like Joel Embiid or Anthony Davis. Like he was going to yeah. play some pretty real minutes for them. Right. Um, but I still think they're better, you know, from a depth perspective than most people understand. Definitely. And right now, the Nets are first above the Sixers. The Sixers own a tiebreaker, but the way things go right now, the Nets are going to need that. So <laughs> if they get the one seed, they get the one seed, they can rest Harden the first two rounds of the playoffs, and he come back really healthy the rest of the way for the conference finals and the finals, it's going to be a problem. I think it's going to be a whole problem for the league. <laughs> I hope we see it because, that, you know, to me, I do too. Harden is so skilled, and he, you know, less has been more for him, right? He yeah. was doing too much in Houston, and I even think Brooklyn was playing him too many minutes, and I understand why they did because yeah. he always wants to play, and they had so many other injuries, but right. um, to me, when you get him into – a quicker decision mode, less of the pound, 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 more of the you're the initiator, push the ball up the court, find the open man, drive and kick, you know, take your guy off the the bounce, pick and roll. When he's in that mode, I I just love to watch it. And the isolation, super slowdown stuff, I never really enjoyed that nearly as much. And he's got so many weapons around him. It's like he's going to the all-you-can-eat buffet. You know, he's just picking one of everything. Like, do I want to give Harris a wide-open three? Do I want to pick it to Kyrie, let him do his thing? Do I want to, uh, you know, send it to, you know, lob to DeAndre Jordan? I mean, he could just beat you in a million different ways. So I'm not sure which teams match up great with them defensively, especially in the East. I mean, you know, I think Milwaukee, they can say on paper, you know, they got Middleton, they got Drew, but still I think that's going to be kind of tough for them individually. I look at that two spot for the Bucs as kind of a a weak link with Dante DiVincenzo. And then with Philly, they got a lot of size, but Embiid's going to have to prove that he can play defense out on the perimeter because that was a big issue yeah. for him in last year's playoffs. And they're going to just try to pull him away from the basket and go to work. So, um, you know, I can't wait to see these matchups shake out, though. Definitely. One thing about Embiid, they do play the net. Embiid has, has to stay out of foul trouble because if he goes down to foul trouble early in any game, Sixers are in trouble. I don't see him recovering. If they go down too much to that much firepower, he has to stay out of foul trouble. He has to. <laughs> We need him no, defensively and offensively. 100%. I mean, he's been driving so much of their success this year. And, you know, they could get by in the regular season without him when he was injured, but right, it's a different piece right. in the playoffs, right? Every game yes. teams are adjusting. And, yes. you know, I think there's areas for him to improve here too, like, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, like decision-making, when he gets trapped, he's going to have to make better passes last uh, this year than he did last year. 
I right. think conditioning is much better for him this year than last season. Um, but holding up in fourth quarters, especially if teams are trying to push the tempo, I mean, that's where he gets into foul trouble if he gets tired, if, if he reaches and, and cuts corners a little bit, right? Oh, um, and then I also think shot selection, right? Um, late in games, you want to make sure he's sticking to those super high percentage shots he's been getting all year as right. opposed to kind of bailing out the defenses with some with tougher shots or, you know, lower percentage shots. So I really want to see Embiid's comeback because in the bubble, you know, it was just kind of heartbreaking. You know, he was a one-man army. It wasn't working. Simmons was injured. You know, right. everybody knew the coach was going to be gone. I mean, it was just a disaster. And so this right. is going to be a real chance for him to kind of shift a lot of those narratives. Yeah, I can't wait to see how these playoff seasons shape up. Everybody, everyone wants to see certain matchups, but we got to see how it plays out. We all know anything can happen, injuries or the right matchups, teams with the wrong matchup. We have upsets, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> no question. I mean, and what's what's really interesting with the East Chase right now is that the one seed means so much, right? If you get that two seed, you might get Miami. And if you're, so if you're Brooklyn, you might get Miami, then Milwaukee, then Philly. That's a nightmare, right? right? But if right. you're that one seed, you might get Charlotte um, or Washington. Then you might yeah. get Boston uh, right. you know, or New York. And then you might get Philly or Milwaukee in, in the conference finals. That's a big difference right. in terms of a degree of difficulty. Right. And you're talking about the Nets, depending on who they play, they could rest the Harden or KD if they want to that game because they have the other two right behind him. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. You're definitely right. <laughs> you're definitely right. Yeah, no, and, I mean, a similar thing is going on in the Western Conference with some of these seeding battles, right? It's like, I think the Lakers and the Clippers trying to dodge each other a little bit, right? Like, if the Clippers yeah. trying to get that two, two seed, if they can get it, and the Lakers are going to be just fine at five because that means they're on the other side and don't have to worry about right. it for the conference finals. And, right. you know, you got these other teams, both Utah and Phoenix, you know, I think if I'm the Clippers or the Lakers, I'm not necessarily fearing them. I think I'm respecting Utah for sure and, right. you know, respecting Phoenix. But, you know, still I think Phoenix is probably uh, the kind of team where, you know, they just don't have a ton of playoff experience other than Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. And right. so I think, you know, teams at the Clippers and Lakers are going to that series favored. Um, right. But I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of the same story as last year. You know, the Kawhi and LeBron, they want to meet as late as possible in that postseason bracket. They don't want to be meeting right. early. And uh, hopefully right. LeBron will be back on the court here soon so we can see it. Definitely. I keep seeing the Clippers-Lakers first-round matchup. I had it four or five first, but Clippers have moved into the three seed. They like three games, three games cushion in three seed. But, I mean, if the Clippers, if the Lakers fall to six, that's three six. I mean, I keep seeing that matchup, but it might not happen. But if it does, that would be a hell of a first-round matchup. Them two potential Western Conference Finals contenders in the first round, That'll be one of the most anticipated uh, matchups we'll see this year in the playoffs. <laughs> it would be. Oh, for sure. No, and I mean, I I'd love to see it personally, just because we didn't get it last year. The Clippers right. had everybody down, right? right? And so it's sort of like, hey, it's about time. They've been circling each other for two years, and yeah. every time they play in the regular season, it's always entertaining, right? Uh, right. You know, even in that first bubble opener when LeBron and Kawhi are going head to head, and and Kawhi just kind of panics a little bit in the last seconds and decides not to shoot it. And, you know, right. LeBron gets the defense to stop. I mean, you know, there's a lot of moments like that between those two guys that we'd love to see pay off. Definitely. Hope we, hope we see it. Hope we see it. <laughs> we'll have to ask you, how's your experience on Abraham's books? Well, it was great. Um, you know, I had essentially heard from them pretty early when I was in the bubble. 
Um, and, you know, they, they do a lot of different types of books. They do kids' books. They do illustrated books. They do very serious books. They do memoirs, all sorts of stuff. And I went to college actually for creative writing, not journalism. And okay. so I really just dug their vibe. You know, it, was, um, it wasn't really your typical sports book company. You know, there's some companies out there that do like, oh, the top 100 reasons to be uh, a fan of a certain team, those kinds of okay. books. Okay, gotcha. And, you know, what they were more interested in was like, hey, you know, just tell the story however you want to tell it. Like if you want to use first person and, and make it kind of like a memoir, go ahead and do it. And for me, that's, I felt like that was the natural way to tell the bubble because, you know, I sort of felt like I got a golden ticket and I wanted to, to go down there. And I kind of wanted the, the reader to ride along with me and understand what that experience was like. So, you know, right. most of the focus is going to be on the players, but there's absolutely some key moments where when you first get there, you're trying to acclimate, right. you're going through all the testing, um, you know, when you're exhausted two months in and, and sometimes you just want to go home when you're scrambling to try to figure out what the heck is going on with this bubble shutdown, you know, why did the Milwaukee Bucks not take the court? Right. Um, those, those are moments where I think it really was helpful to be able to use my own voice and to tell that part of the story um, from the first person perspective. And so I was so thankful that they gave me that chance. And, um, you know, we got all sorts of cool stuff coming. We got an audio book coming out where I read the book, you know, uh, as well. Okay. We got a Japanese translation book. Somehow they, they've arranged a deal for that, which is kind of blows my mind, you know? So, I got nothing but good things to say about Abrams Books. They've been an amazing partner for me. And look, you know, bottom line, they're the first publisher that ever took a chance on me. And I'm, you know, I'm always going to remember that because this is my first book. And I'm just very, very grateful. Definitely. You never forget who helps you. I remember my first media coverage still. It was the Delaware Bluecoats, the Sixers League team. We my outlet this first media coverage. Right from there, I went to Team USA Basketball. I was always, I always thank them. I'll never forget that first chance they gave me. <laughs> Oh, Never. for sure. Well, I'm right there with you, man. I got my very first NBA press credential. I got that framed next to my desk still to this day, 14 years yes. later. So, you know, yes. um, it's always about who shows love, you know, when they don't have to, right? I think right. that's a, that's a big part of it. Right. But you know, as things grow, more people will want to come along and then help you more because it's sure you are at that point. But it's always about being the beginning. Always look at that. You got to look at that all the time. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's exactly the perspective I had kind of going into this project. It was like, look, you guys are showing a lot of faith in me. And so right. I want to make sure I can, you know, do everything I possibly can. You know, one cool thing, this book is I really like photography as well. And so they right. were able to help me line up some of the photographs that I took when I was in the bubble okay. in the book itself. So like there's a picture oh, of Joel and Beach just looking like really sad, really dejected after a loss against the Celtics. There's okay. a picture of Jamal Murray spraying Coach Michael Malone with water after they eliminated the uh, the Utah Jazz from that first okay. round of playoff series. I got right. a couple pictures of LeBron James spraying champagne. I mean, some cool – and also just other pictures of just the campus to kind of show it off and, and what it felt like. Right. Um, and so, to me, that was another thing where they just went above and beyond to kind of help me make the best book possible and the, the book that felt the most like me. And uh, that was cool. That was really cool. Congratulations again. I definitely get a copy, man. I got a bubble ring something. I need to copy of that. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. Ben, thank you so much for your time. This was fun. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Always glad to chat with you. I wish you um, the best of luck with this show and continued good health in this crazy time we're living in. And, you know, I think you and I said before the show started, we're both looking forward to just getting back to completely normal with full buildings once that's safe and fans yeah. going crazy. And, you know, I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I'll, you, you took the words out of my mouth. I can't wait for that. Definitely. Thanks for joining me. 
Like I said, it was a pleasure again. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, man. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Yes, I was watching the post. NBA writer Ben Gallagher was joining me again. Thanks for joining me. Catch you next time.